God, we are thankful that we can be here this morning. Uh, we are thankful that we woke up. We're thankful that we um, have breath. And now for a few moments, God, I pray that what you've worked with me for the last couple of years, that, um, that it would make sense to my friends here. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. Jesus says, I am coming soon. Now, these are the words that we often hear. Jesus is coming soon, so you better be ready. Jesus is coming soon. And yet, for some of us or for some of you, it doesn't feel like he's coming soon enough. It might even be that for some of you, you've heard this so many times that you might be thinking, well, I know that he's coming soon, but it doesn't really feel like it, so I'm going to go about my life and just kind of live like I'm going to live to be 101 years old, and I'm just going to keep living. I would suggest that when Jesus says, I am coming soon, that there is something that settles in among some of us, which is called a, a type of spiritual anxiety. How many of you have ever experienced anxiety? How many of you have ever experienced it, and it's paralyzing? How many of you experience it, and the best that you can do is you just go home and you sit quietly because it feels like it's overwhelming? You see, I think what happens sometimes when we say words like, Jesus is coming soon, and Jesus is coming soon, when we don't see Jesus arriving, what happens is that there's this, there's this bit of spiritual anxiety that begins to settle in among our lives, and so we have to deal with, well, what do we do while we wait? We've been talking for the last couple of weeks about Advent and the Advent candles and how they represent that Jesus came once and we look forward to his coming again. And what's really easy to happen is that while we wait, we forget that he promised that he would come again. And it's so easy to be sidetracked and, and be taken all sorts of different places because, well, Jesus, I don't see him. I, don't, I mean, we talk about these signs, and yet we still don't see Jesus. So what are we supposed to do? So in this time of waiting, I have a couple of analogies. Now, please understand, every analogy that we use always falls short when it's talking about God. So here's the first analogy. How many of you have ever ordered something on the Internet, and it is mailed via um, FedEx? Have any of you ever done that? How many of you, <laughs> going to the tracking number, do you check almost daily when you're waiting for that one thing? Yeah, Bob. <laughs> he raised his hand high. Well, I can remember a time where I forget what I ordered. I don't know. I ordered stuff all the time on, on the Internet. And I remembered I was waiting for it, and I was waiting for it, and I looked at the tracking number, and so I called him, and I said, you know, I, I, it, I, it's supposed to be here today, but it's not showing up on the tracking. Well, can you tell me what to do? And the, and the person on the other line said, oh, you know what? It's actually on the truck. I said, okay, great. Can you tell me what section of the city he's in? <laughs> this is when I lived in a smaller city. And, and they kind of paused. I said, hold on. Then they give me his number, and they said, if you call him, he can tell you where to go. So I being a type A personality when it comes to what I want, I called the guy and I said, will you meet me on the corner of so, I don't know if Kim knows this, but will you meet me on the corner of so-and-so and I will be there? And the guy, he, he was taken aback, but he was like, yeah, I guess so. And the thing that I ordered, the thing that I thought was going to change my life, I ended up getting rid of within three months because it was horrible. H have you ever 
been waiting for something so much that you're just like, I can't wait until it gets here. You could either be passive and sit back, or you can be proactive and go look for it. A few months ago, um, our youngest ordered a soccer ball on the internet. Well, we, we ordered it, because he doesn't have a credit card yet, to my knowledge. And he says, when is it going to come? Now, the ball was inexpensive. That's why I bought it. Now, <laughs> he, he was like, when is it going to get here? And, and I picked the not-so-expensive, because he could do it overnight. We all know that, right? Sorry, guys. We can do it overnight but it costs more than the ball. So I couldn't do that. And so every single day he would go to the door and look out. And I remember, I remember Kim had also ordered something and we didn't know. And the FedEx guy or the UPS guy, he shows up, he knocks on the door. And so we were both upstairs and we ran downstairs because we were excited to see this awesome soccer ball. And we get there and it was a pair of shoes. <laughs> I cannot begin to explain how he felt because he was just like, ah, like, why? As we wait for Jesus, though, I think sometimes we experience that same kind of anxiety, that same kind of waiting, that same kind of angst inside of us that says, just come already. The problem is you and I cannot make it come any faster. God has ordained already before you were even born when Jesus would come. So we can't speed it up, but we can fill our lives. Let me give you another example. For a, for a young man and a young woman who are dating, and the young man says, I, can't, I love you so much, I cannot wait to marry you. I cannot wait to spend the rest of my life with you. If you are a young lady and a young man says that to you, are you inclined to believe that he's going to ask you to marry you sometime soon? Yeah, I once had a friend tell me, it wasn't about me, but she was relating to me a story how if a guy tells a girl he wants to marry her, she's always going to be expecting that he will ask her to marry him. But what happens, ladies, the more and more you have to wait? Do you believe as much? Do you believe that he's going to ask you? Or as time goes on, do you begin to think to yourself, maybe this isn't going to happen? Is that what, is that what happens? No, I'm asking. I'm not a lady. I don't know. But what I've heard and what I'm assuming is that the more the woman is made to wait, the more she will begin to think that this is never going to happen. And we know that she will not wait forever. Love, I guess, has an expiration date sometimes. In this state of waiting and spiritual anxiety, and please follow with me. I know I'm using some of these words, and for some of you, it's just like, get to the point already. But you know what? There's 35 minutes until 12, and so we're going somewhere this morning. In this state of waiting, you and I have two options. You can either channel this type of waiting and angst and be proactive in your faith and actually do something with your life. You can actually do something meaningful as you wait or you can let this anxiety or this waiting, you can let it control you. You can be passive and sit back and wait, or you can proactively be doing something for the kingdom of heaven. One writer says that when, when something bad happens in your life, you can either let, let it make you bitter or it can make you better. As we wait, you have the power to do anything 
you can dream of because God is living in you, flowing through you, and he needs you in this world now to be his body. That sounds weird, that God needs us. It's not that God needs us, it's that God chose to use you and me as his mouthpiece in this world. And so we're going to look at the text a little bit deeper. It says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown because you have kept my word. What Jesus is saying, for those who are faithful and for those who remain faithful till the end, I will keep you from the hour of trial. Growing up, and you've heard this story before, and you're going to keep hearing it until I leave this place in like 15 years. I don't know. I was always afraid. Okay, so let me give you a quick story. On, on Friday nights, my family and I, we would always get together, and we, would, um, and we would have worship to kind of usher in the Sabbath. And so every single Friday night, that's what my family and I would do. Well, as, I, as long as I can remember, I remember one time, and my best friend is here, and I think he was there, at the church where I grew up, the people who were in charge of the youth had this brilliant idea, and I say that sarcastically, that we would all be sitting in church during an AY service on a Saturday afternoon, and what they did is that they planned this group of actors to come in to the church on a Saturday afternoon while we were just sitting there, right, enjoying church, and they came in here and they staged a kind of invasion of the church where they, call, they had like these guns, right, and they called up the leadership of the church and they were going to take them and they were going to persecute them because the end was coming. I was young. I kind of knew it was fake because no one was really... You know, they, no one was really scared and they had wooden guns after you, like, looked at them for a while. But the picture they painted was one that instilled great fear in my life. And so on Friday nights, when we would be worshiping, I always had this image of people coming into my house and taking me to be persecuted because I was faithful. And yet the scriptures, I mean, this, is not the, this isn't even a Bible writer. This is Jesus narrating, in a sense, to John, the revelator. He says, because you have kept my word, because you are faithful, I will keep you from the hour of trial. God is not coming so that the people who are faithful will die. God is coming to put an end to all of the evil in this world. Are we clear on that? God creates this world in a specific way where everything was good. After every day of creation, God says, and it was good, and it was good, and it was very good. The problem three chapters later in the book of Genesis is that then sin enters the world. And what Jesus and God have been up to is about eradic eradicating and getting rid of sin and evil in this world. And one day, Jesus will come to put an end to all of the injustice all of the pain, and all of the suffering. During the time of Advent, during this Christmas time, what we are being reminded of is that no matter how good or how bad things are, remain faithful to God because God is not putting you through difficulty. God is not making you go through some difficult process. I know we preach that, but I don't think it's biblical, and I'll challenge you any day. 
God doesn't test you. If God has to test your faith, then he's not really God because he doesn't see your faith. God says, if you're faithful, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on this world. I am coming soon. Do not lose heart. I am coming soon. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. This was just a biblical way of saying that we will belong to God. God's not actually going to write on your forehead. God's not actually going to write on you. It's just a, it's a language of ownership. And then it says, he who has an ear, let them hear. Some of you are going to reject this and say, no, 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 I was taught differently, and that's the way it's going to be. I'm just trying to show you what Jesus says in the book of Revelation. So as we wait, Jude 17, 20 says this, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads us to eternal life. And for a moment, we look at the word or at the phrase, building yourselves up. As you wait, you are not to be passively waiting for something good or something. No, no, God is calling you to do something meaningful with your life. Whatever it is, do something. This life that you have is a gift. Are you squandering it away or are you doing something truly meaningful with it? Last week... We looked at the text where Paul says that an athlete will train his or her body to win a perishable wreath. This is an illustration. The, the commentators are sitting back and they're saying, if anybody helps her, she will be disqualified. And she was doing this. Was she doing this so that she could win the race? She wasn't winning the race. She was like, I don't know, somewhere behind, right? Like third, fourth, or fifth place. But she did it because her love and her commitment to her coach and, to, and her team compelled her at all costs to finish this race. Can there be a better analogy for your life and mine in this time of waiting for Jesus? I know that this was just a physical, but, but a physical test to her body, but what about you and me? I mean, is, is this what our life feels like sometimes where we are just dragging ourselves through? And Jesus says, if you remain faithful, I will make you a pillar in the house of God. If you finish, I will make you strong. Which is why Paul also writes, when I am weak, I am strongest. And so we continue, Paul one time says to live is Christ, real life, the kind of life that is meaningful. It's not happening at some point in the future when we go to eternal life with God. Life at its best is a life that is lived in connection to God. It, it cannot be simpler than that. When you live your life entrusting it to God in all aspects of it, it will be the best kind of life to live. I was reminded of this, and I haven't asked for permission, so I'll keep it short. I was reminded of this this morning. We were taught in seminary that we should spend anywhere from 20 to 25 hours, 30 hours working on a sermon weekly. 
because this is what you see. But another writer says you could, you could spend 20 hours a week on a sermon, but really it takes a lifetime to preach a sermon. This morning I was humbled and reminded that although I spend hours in the office here, it doesn't mean that I was living closely connected to Christ. The way you treat your family is an indication of whether you are connected to Christ or not. Is that clear? The way you treat your children and your wife or your husband determines whether you are truly connected to Jesus or if you are paying lip service to them. This morning I was painfully reminded that I was somewhere further away from Christ than I hoped. And it was hard. In this time of waiting, to make it through to the end, the training that is required of you is to connect yourself to God every moment of every day. Because to live, to have a life that is abundant must be one that is lived in connection with God. Are you still following me? Let's keep going, yeah? We have a few more minutes left in us. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. Whatever you do, whatever you say, however you act, remember it is that same Lord, the same God that we serve, and we are called to come together under one umbrella and be the body of Jesus everywhere and in everything that we do. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Why are you given the manifestation of the Spirit? You see, when we talk about spiritual gifts, we think about assessments that we take. We think about a test and we ask questions. And when, the, when we answer these questions, we're going to get to the end. And then we're going to learn what is my spiritual gift, what I am good at. And a lot of times what happens is we only use our gifts because it's what we want to do. But if you're not using your gift for the, for the common good of all, you are wasting your gift. You see, it is very possible for you to be using your gift but doing so selfishly because you want claim or credit and because you want to be seen as somebody who is holy or spiritual. It is very possible for you to use the gifts that God has given you, but use them wrongly. You have to be reminded that the reason that God is giving you these talents and these, this beauty and grace in your life is so that it can benefit someone else. If it's just feeding your ego you are misusing it. I remember years ago, I wanted to learn how to play the guitar. And so I, I, I started learning. I, I've only gotten so far. I, I know the same four chords, and I think for a reason. Also, I can't sing and play guitar at the same time, so 
I can't really do very much. But I remember thinking to myself, if I could play really well, I could play in front of church, and it's going to be amazing because then everybody is going to be looking at me and thinking, that guy is such an awesome singer. I, I used to stand in front of this church that my dad used to clean that would fit 3,500 people in it, and I would stand up from the top, and I would pretend like I was preaching. My sister's there. She used to sing Paul Abdul songs from the top. I did too, though. <laughs> but there was a sense of fame and glory, and so from a very early age, God did not gift me with musical talents or with a voice to sing because I believed that God would know that I would misuse it and it would fall short of what he wanted from me. And so instead, he sent me to the desert, to two small churches, to remind me that humility must go before all things. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions or gives to each one individually as God wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Is this talking only about the Seventh-day Adventist Church? The belief is that as long as you believe in Jesus, you are a part of the body of Christ. Now, we could sit back and focus about how all the other Christians don't have it right, and we can build ourselves up and say, well, we have the truth, and we have all the good stuff. We are the remnant church. But if it is not working towards the common good of all people, it is pointless. So we could point our finger and say, that is wrong, but I don't really feel that God is calling us to, to, to judge people where they are wrong. I don't see that in the scriptures. Instead, what God is calling us to is that as the body of Christ, we are to manifest our gifts. This is the Spirit of God flowing through us. We must let it manifest itself among all people, everywhere we are, anywhere we go. We are called to be his fellow or, or his believers and his body. So let me break this down. One, how should I put it? There was an interview one time, and it was uh, this band, Destiny's Child, okay? And I'll use this illustration every time. I remember reading an interview with one of the girls on this, on this band or women's group, uh, Destiny's Child, and they were asking her, you say you're a Christian, but you're dressing this way, you're singing certain kind of lyrics, you're, you know, you're partying it up, you know, partying it up. They said, but you're a Christian, so how do you reconcile it? And she says, no, no, that's my secular life. That's the show that I put on for people, but my private life, that's spiritual It doesn't work like that. From the very beginning, God breathes into you the breath of life. This living nefesh is the word. He breathes and gives you a soul. Which means that wherever you go, everything is spiritual. Everything you do, everywhere you go, you're always walking on sacred ground because God has given you the breath of life. God, in essence, breathes into you from his source of life, which means that there is no separation between secular and sacred. Everything is spiritual. And I don't think we've done a good job of explaining that. We are the body of Christ, and as we wait for his coming, as we wait for the day where everything will be put to right and all evil and pain and suffering 
will come to an end. Until we wait, we must be his image bearers. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. This is the biblical way of saying, one of you is not better than the other. You may think that other people are not living up to a certain expectation, but you are not better than them. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. And then this is really simply, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So the question that I would ask you to think about and pray about is, are you giving God everything you could possibly give him? Are you giving God your very best? Are you giving God your full trust and obedience? Because if you're not, then I have a feeling that you are not living a fulfilling kind of life. I've been there. I've lived where I feel fulfilled, and I live where I haven't felt very fulfilled. As we wait for the coming of Christ, you can either sit back passively just waiting, or you can actively take control of the life that God has given you and work towards making this world a better place until Jesus comes and finishes the work. The fact that he finishes the work requires you and I to be doing something as we wait. Is that clear? This morning, I just, I want to close by challenging you to really think hard about why you believe in Jesus. I want to challenge you to ask why you really believe in God. Because if it is just for what you can get out of him, that's not faith. If all you're constantly doing is asking God to fix everything, but you are not giving him praise, that's not real faith. Real faith is kind of what um, President Kennedy said. So it's, he says, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. We know that, right? I would say that real faith is ask not what God can do for you, but what can you do for God? God's already given you life. God's already forgiven your sins. God's already promised the assurance of eternal life. God's taking care of the heavy lifting. Our role now is how can we help put a dent in this evil world? Let's pray. God, we are thankful that, that you can challenge us in a way that will force us to think really critically about our faith. God, I know that for my brothers and sisters here, it might seem like I was yelling at them, but God, maybe I was just yelling at myself this morning. We are desperately in need of a double portion of your spirit. Help to mold us and shape us. Help us to look more like you and less like us. And we thank you that you have not left us alone. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.